Reading from Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. The verse I just read is a messianic prophecy. A prophecy is a promise from God about the future. The Messiah, also called the Christ, is an anointed divine king and redeemer. Therefore, a messianic prophecy is essentially a promise from God that he will send a divine king to make things right for humanity. A messianic prophecy will usually include specific details about the coming Messiah. In the case of our verse, God predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And this prediction was made 700 years in advance of its fulfillment. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here to declare to you this day that this verse was fulfilled more than 2,000 years ago at the birth of Jesus Christ. But someone might say, well, you only interpret the Micah passage as referring to Jesus because you are reading history back into it. However, when Herod asked the chief priests and scribes, we see that they understood the passage even in their day. We read in Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Just to summarize this passage, Herod had evil intent and wanted to kill the Messiah while he was still an infant. He asked the Jewish authorities where he could find the child, and they knew exactly where the Messiah would be born. Bethlehem. This shows that there is no misunderstanding about our verse, Micah 5.2, being a messianic prophecy. The Jews of Jesus' day were expecting its fulfillment. Gary Burge, New Testament scholar from Calvin Theological Seminary, says that at the time of the birth of Jesus, Bethlehem was a one gas station town. Bethlehem had nothing except its history. Coincidentally, we can say the same thing about Bethlehem today. I've been to Bethlehem. It is very close to Jerusalem, but it is in the West Bank, which is Palestinian territory. With one exception, Bethlehem is a sleepy little town with simple residents and really nothing there. That one exception is Bethlehem's connection to history, the Church of the Nativity. They say this church was built over the cave where Jesus was laid in a manger, 
but there is no proof as to whether it is the exact location or not. The one gas station town of Bethlehem in the Old Testament was famous only because an extremely important person was born there. Have you ever heard of Tupelo, Mississippi? If your answer is yes, then the reason you have heard of Tupelo is likely because it is the birthplace of Elvis Presley. However, besides the statue and the restored house of Elvis, there really isn't anything to distinguish Tupelo from any other southern town with a population of 38,000. Bethlehem was kind of like that. The famous person in the Old Testament born in Bethlehem was King David. Yes, that King David. The same person who killed Goliath. Micah's prophecy then gives imagery that the future Messiah would be a king to the likes of King David. And other messianic prophecies also make the same point. Uh, Jesus is called the son of David. He's called the seed of David. He's called the branch of David. And this verse isn't on the notes here, but I'm going to read one of these messianic prophecies because I believe I have time. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you don't have to turn there, 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting with verse 8, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, this is the this is God speaking through the prophet Nathan to David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Skipping down to verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall be a, build a house for my name and I shall establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Historic Bethlehem sits on a very important road in the Bible. This road has been appropriately named the Way of the Patriarchs. A patriarch is a famous father. The most famous biblical patriarchs include Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did you notice in some of the verses I already referenced, we read Bethlehem of, Ju of Judah, or sometimes it's other form, Judea? Judah was one of the patriarchs, and head of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's also where we get the words Jew and Jewish. The way of the patriarchs was one of three major routes in ancient Israel. So, see that there's, on this map, there's three routes uh, basically going north and south. This one by the Mediterranean Sea is called the Via Maris, like, uh, like the Spanish word mar for, for sea. And this one over here that goes actually um, on the other side of the Jordan River, uh, the other side of the Dead Sea, uh, that's called the Way of the Kings. And this is the road that I'm talking about, the one in the middle. Or if you see on, on this side, this, this road in the middle here, that's the, the Way of the Patriarchs. And there's important cities like Hazor, Megiddo, 
Uh, there's Jerusalem. Bethlehem's going to be right about right there. And Hebron, Beersheba. So the, in the biblical times, it was the Israelites, except for, for times like when during David and Solomon where they, they controlled everything, much of the time they just controlled this area in the middle, and that's the hill country. So, for example, the Philistines lived in this area, and they dominated that area because it's a valley, and they had chariots. Uh, the, the Israelites were simple shepherding people, and, and so they lived in the hills. The way of the patriarchs follows a mountainous ridgeline in Israel, which is the high point between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. The road starts up north of the city of Hazar, travels south through important biblical cities such as Megiddo, and that's the city where we get the word Armageddon, and Gibeah, where King Saul had his palace in the territory of Benjamin. The road continued on traveling just to the west of Jerusalem and on south through Bethlehem, Hebron, and finally it ends in Beersheba by the Negev Desert. Subsequently today, this road is known as Highway 60. And it follows much the same path as the ancient route. David grew up in Bethlehem and was the youngest of eight brothers. One day the prophet Samuel showed up at David's house in Bethlehem, much to the surprise of David's father, Jesse. Even more to Jesse's surprise, Samuel anointed Dave, David as the new king of Israel at that time in Bethlehem. Did you have several different jobs? As a teenager, I know I did. Uh, sometimes I tell people, I've had just about every job you can possibly have that you don't need an advanced degree to have as a teenager. Some of the jobs I had include paperboy, telemarketer, I was a waiter, I was a janitor, I worked in a factory, I was a pizza delivery guy, I was a disc jockey, uh, I once worked at a convalescent home. I even went to work on a salmon processing ship in Alaska. Now, while I might be an extreme case, lots of young people hold all different kinds of jobs. The same was true for young David. His first job was to work at home as a shepherd. For David's second job, he was a professional musician. And he was actually quite good. He even wrote his own lyrics. Do you know the psalms were originally put to music? Many of the psalms were written by David. In, Sam, in 1 Samuel 16, we read, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you, to seek out a man who is skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well, and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehem, Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. You see, David went to live with King Saul in the palace. Uh, 
so he could play his harp and ease the tension caused by this reference distressing spirit. He was also King Saul's armor bearer. Does that make three jobs? Well, anyway, David didn't completely give up working as a shepherd either, as we read in 1 Samuel 17, verse 15. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So the question is, how does David get back and forth from the palace to feed the sheep in Bethlehem? You remember I said Saul's palace was in Gibeah of Benjamin, and Gibeah was one of the stops on the way of the patriarchs. The answer is, he followed the way of the patriarchs on foot. Now, since they owned sheep, I suppose it would be possible that they owned a donkey, but that was not the normal way of travel at that time. At least on one occasion, Jesse sent his son David on an urgent mission to get some food to his brothers, and he told them to run. And sometimes I might say to my wife, I'm going to run to the store to get fish food, or whatever. I will be driving the car, but I still use the word run. I suppose it is possible that David's father, Jesse, used the word run in a similar way, but I was unable to find any place in the Bible in which the word was used that way. Anyway, talking to people who own donkeys, riding a donkey might have actually made the trip take longer because donkeys are so stubborn. No, I think David walked that 12 miles from Bethlehem to the palace in Gibeah every time he was on the harpist schedule. Unless, of course, he was in a hurry, then he would run. This would have become even more frequent as time passed as David soon became best friends with King Saul's son, Jonathan. David later becomes even more entwined with Saul's family as he eventually marries Saul's daughter. Have you ever walked 12 miles? Uh, I looked it up. According to the internet, it takes about four hours at a relaxed pace or three hours at a normal pace to walk 12 miles. This is quite doable for a healthy young man, especially where walking everywhere was commonplace. Now, let's put in a little bit of perspective, though. A marathon is 26.2 miles. So if David walked round trip, that would be 24 miles. Walking nearly a marathon might not be something you could keep up every day. Now, granted, David probably spent the night at the palace often, he wasn't doing that commute daily, but the Bible says it was frequent. So I wanted to know, how did David's commute compare to other commutes today? According to a new study, the average American commute is over 27 minutes. And I don't think that's really too bad. I wish my daily commute up to Tahoe was that short. But looking at it a different way, 27 minutes, five days a week, in both directions, that equates to nine full calendar days per year just sitting in the car. However, the same study shows that for over 14 million Americans, the commute is an hour or more. Uh, some of you who moved here from California know what that's like. <laughs> People who have an hour and a half commute are called super commuters 
And there are over 4 million of those people. This went down temporarily due to COVID, but it seems to be back up again in 2021. It is said the Bay Area is the worst for super commuters. Um, I got this from a Channel 7 News article. Stockton tops the list. The 11.2% of the workforce being super commuters. Modesto, just south of Stockton, is number two with 8.7% super commuters. San Francisco, Oakland, Hayward is number six with 4.8% super commuters. I had trouble finding statistics about longer commutes than that, but I did read an article that said at least 200,000 Americans have a two-hour commute or more. We know there are some people with three-hour commutes and longer. Of course, again, David was walking, so that's a bit different than driving a car. The world David grew up in was much like how things are in Africa today. Did you know the average woman and child in Africa walks 3.7 miles a day just to get water? Yes, it's the women who fetch the water with their children. They often carry their 40-pound jerry cans or five gallons of water on their head. Now that's a commute. Think about how good you have it the next time you run out of gas and have to walk to the gas station. Lots of walking was pretty common in the Bible. You know that I teach the 9 a.m. Sunday school uh, class here at Shadow Mountain Church. Um, we have been going through the book of Acts. The website, one website calculated that all said and done, the Apostle Paul walked a total of 10,000 miles. So back to David, his 12-mile walking commute really wasn't so bad. In many ways, a walking commute might be better than a driving commute. At least you don't have to worry about the other driver. As David walked on that road, the way of the patriarchs, I'm sure he often met up with and had conversations with other commuters. That is something we don't get to do in our cars. But just imagine those conversations. I'm sure David would have turned the conversation to the Lord. As the Bible says, he was a man after God's own heart. David would have been the perfect traveling companion, someone who had the king's ear and knew all the important news. Someone who was a songwriter. I'm sure he would have sang songs as he traveled. However, many times I'm sure David was alone by himself. David knew what it was like to be alone, as I'm sure he spent many nights out there in the pastures outside Bethlehem with only those sheep as companions. I'm sure he spent a lot of time in prayer. Growing up in this environment likely had a positive influence on David's character. Depending upon the Lord, learning how to lead men by having learned how to lead sheep. Those of us who commute ought to value the time we have to collect our thoughts and prepare our mindset for work. But maybe more importantly, those of us who commute, especially those who commute here in Nevada, really ought to appreciate the beautiful scenery on our commutes. David had scenery too. Israel is a mountainous country. Furthermore, as I already said, the way of the patriarchs is the high point. 
From there, David could look down to the valley west towards the Mediterranean Sea, or he could look east across the Dead Sea. Here's what it might have looked like from David. And he can look across the Dead Sea to the mountains of Moab, where Ruth, his great-grandmother, was from. Looking straight ahead, he could see Mount Moriah, where God tested Abraham, seeing if he would be willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. And then I come to this picture. I tried to find a picture that showed a view from David's walk, from the, the way of the patriarchs, over across to the mountains in Moab, and I couldn't find one like that. But I found one looking the other way. So this is from the mountains of Moab, or what is modern-day Jordan, looking over to Israel. And this is taken from Mount Nebo, which is the same mountain where Moses got a view of the promised land uh, right before he died. So you can see on here, there's a, from where we're, where this person who took the picture was standing, you can see Hebron, which is one of the places on the way of the patriarchs. Um, you can see Bethlehem, one of the places on the way of the patriarchs. You can see Jerusalem, and you could see Ramallah, which is not a, a biblical city. It's a, it's a Palestinian town, but it's not too far from where King Saul's palace was. Um, you could see Nablus, which is uh, the, the biblical place, a, a city of Shechem. And well, interesting, too, you can see Jericho, which is down in the Jordan Valley, and that's going to become important a little bit further on in our sermon today. However, the most significant landmark on David's commute, about halfway through his walk, was the city of Jerusalem. Of course, at that time, it wasn't called Jerusalem. It was called Jebus, and it was the city of the Jebusites. They were a subset of Canaanites, which the Israelites failed to remove at the time of Joshua. This is important because after David becomes king, he conquers Jerusalem and makes it the capital of Israel. Historically, David and Jerusalem are linked to the extent that Jerusalem is also known since as the city of David. You see, commutes can be productive. I'm sure it was all the times walking past Jebus that it drove David crazy, knowing that there was this prominent Canaanite city right there especially as David would have known that God had commanded the Israelites to drive out the Canaanites and their wicked, immoral ways, but Israel refused to do so. I'm sure it was all the time walking right past Jebus that David became familiar with how strategically located the city was and how being between valleys and mountains, it had great defensive capabilities. This brings us up to a young couple named Mary and Joseph, who lived at that time in a town called Nazareth of Galilee. We read from Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Nazareth is about seven miles to get to the way of the patriarchs where one could head south towards Bethlehem. Now, following the way of the patriarchs would be the most direct route from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So once they get onto the way of the patriarchs, then they'd have another 70 miles from, Naz- from, from, the, from that road, start of that road, down to uh, Bethlehem. The problem is, it would take you through Samaritan territory. Now anyone who has ever heard a Sunday school lesson on the Samaritan woman at the well knows that the Jews disliked the Samaritans so much that they would customarily go the long way around in order to avoid the Samaritans. Uh, If Mary and Joseph had gone around, it would have added another 20 miles to their trip. So here we have the two different possible routes that Mary and Joseph could have taken. This one here is the direct route. It's the way of the patriarchs. This one here goes down into the Jordan Valley below sea level, goes past like the city of Jericho, and right before they get to the Dead Sea, they have to climb up the mountain to get up to Jerusalem. Okay, and I'm going to argue that they probably didn't go the long way. Um, some Bible commentaries think Mary and Joseph could have walked up to 20 miles a day. That would have meant a trip of only five days max or four days if they took the more direct route. Well, let's think about that, this rationally, though. Mary was pregnant. And you know all those pictures with Mary on the dutiful donkey? Well, just like David, there is really no evidence that Mary rode on a donkey. Now let's think about this rationally. These Bible commentators would have had pregnant Mary walking further than a one-way trip for David or almost as much as a round trip. How dare they put Mary on the road walking almost a marathon four days in a row? Remember, like those women in Africa, Mary and Joseph would have had to carry all their provisions with them, and I don't think they had nylon backpacks. I like to think Joseph would have encouraged his pregnant fiancée to take it easy. I also like to think maybe Mary and Joseph were not so pretentious that they needed to avoid the Samaritan territory. Anyway, the long way would have meant going down to the Jordan Valley where there were dangerous wild animals, hyenas, lions, jackals, and bears. My family loves hiking here in the Sierra Nevada mountains. I like to find the trails that start out going up the mountain rather than going down the mountain. This way, when I'm exhausted, I'm hiking the final stretch coming back, I'm going downhill. So not only would going around Samaria add 20 miles, but would mean starting out going way down to the Jordan Valley, below sea level, and then hiking up to Jerusalem when already exhausted. 
For all the above reasons, my guess is that Mary and Joseph walked the way of the patriarchs. Dr. John MacArthur is a pastor-teacher of Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. You know that this is the church that made news standing up against the government when they tried to impose impossible COVID restrictions upon them. Subsequently, it's also the church where Pastor Larry is at right now. But in Dr. MacArthur's book called God in the Manger, he tells us how important keeping genealogical records were for the Jewish people. He writes, Any claim to the priesthood or royalty had to be verified by genealogy. In Ezra 2, 61 through 63, for example, a number of the men were excluded from the priesthood when the records did not verify their claims. Likewise, any claim to be king, and ultimately Messiah, would be rejected if the one making the assertion could not prove he had direct lineage from the great King David himself. And here lies the reason why Mary and Joseph were so motivated to make sure they were counted in the census. Even though this was a Roman census, it was an official government census. They would not have wanted any contradicting narrative to have disqualified any of their children from the royal lineage of David and from David's hometown, Bethlehem. And of course, this put them in the right time and place to fulfill Micah's prophecy. We continue in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I give you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. I find it appropriate that it was the shepherds who first heard of the birth of Messiah. After all, the Israelite people had always been known as a shepherding people ever since the time of the patriarchs. The Egyptians looked down on the Israelites for that very reason. This was also in contrast to the Philistines who were considered more civilized with their advanced technology. They ruled the valleys with their chariots, but the Israelites were the shepherding people of the hill country. It is soothing to see representatives of this more humble profession getting their reward. It could have very well even have been the angel who appeared in one of the very same fields that David had grazed his sheep in a thousand years earlier. You may have heard it said that Jesus could not have been born on December 25th because shepherds would not be in the fields watching their sheep by night in the winter. However, by now you know, Bethlehem is very close to Jerusalem. In fact, Bethlehem is the very next stop on the way of the patriarchs heading south after you leave Jerusalem. Here's a good way to imagine it. You know the town of Verdi, 
um, up by Boomtown on I-80? Well, Verde would be to Reno the same thing that Bethlehem would be to Jerusalem. It's the little town just outside the big city. In Jesus' time, there were animal sacrifices actively being offered in the temple. It is said, as you're doing your commute and you still saw Jerusalem far off, you could already start to smell all the incense being offered in the temple. Lots of sacrifices meant that many sheep had to be ready at all times. And where did they keep the sheep on deck awaiting sacrifice? In Bethlehem, of course. And that meant shepherds needed to be in the fields watching their sheep by night, no matter what time of the year it was. Imagine that. Maybe Jesus really was born on December 25th after all. You may have noticed above that the angel, presumably Gabriel, called Bethlehem the city of David. However, only Jerusalem is called the city of David in the Old Testament, and it's called that about 40 times. Jerusalem is the city where many of David's immediate sons were born, but none of them were born in Bethlehem, which is why none of them were eligible to have fulfilled Micah 5.2. My guess is, Gabriel calls Bethlehem the city of David to link it back to David's childhood. There was a very short window in which Messiah had to be born in order to fulfill Micah's prophecy. You see, Jerusalem and the Jewish temple were destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. In addition to this, the Romans decreed that no Jews were allowed to live in Jerusalem or its environs, including Bethlehem. Today, Bethlehem is a Palestinian town. So no Jewish babies were being born in Bethlehem between Jesus' time and today. Yes, indeed, there was a short window in history in which Messiah had to be born. What then can we say is the application of today's Christmas message? Hopefully you're not going away saying, Today's sermon was a warning against long commutes. <laughs> when determining the application of a Bible passage, ask yourself, what does God want me to learn from this passage about his nature and how to apply it to my life? May I suggest, perhaps we see some insight into God's joy. It would seem God favored shepherds above other professions. And he favored one town, Bethlehem, over other towns. Or at least in the case of our Christmas nativity narrative, he did so. Now what do those two things have in common? Shepherds and Bethlehem. Well, they have David in common, of course. So perhaps this could be the application of the Christmas message. David, the, and Jesus called the son of David, David, it says, was a man whose heart was after God. And that brought joy to God. And so this can be our application. If we have our heart after God, we bring God joy as well.
And remember that the passage all started with a messianic prophecy. Now how God likely wants us to apply a prophetical passage is to trust him and to have a hope for the future. So in that regard, let's hope in faith for all the promises God has for us to spend eternity in Jesus. In this particular case, we looked at a prophetical text that had already been fulfilled. Like other messianic texts, this verse was fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ against all statistical odds. It shows that God means what he says and he says what he means. God is the only one and who can call the shot and make the shot over history. This then is the ultimate application of our passage. By seeing predictions have already been made in the Bible and fulfilled in the Bible, hundreds or even thousands of years later, we learn to trust God even more and know that we can hope and count on all the promises of the Bible. I would like to leave you with uh, one last thing. In the beginning here, we sang the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. I especially love the part where it says, Fall on your knees. Uh, the person who wrote this, his name is Philip Brooks. And he wrote the hymn in 1865 after riding from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to attend services at the Church of the Nativity. Remember that church that I had up on the screen earlier? Um, and uh, actually, uh, our family had an opportunity to go to that very church uh, on Christmas one time when we lived there. That uh, whole square was filled with people. And they even had the Palestinian president spoke there to the crowd when we were there. It was, it was really a magical time. But this, the person who wrote, Old Little Town of Bethlehem, had been there too. And I, I, I know they say it was built over the cave where Jesus was born. And sometimes it kind of sounds in the Bible more like he was born in a building. So that could be why this is not the actual place. But indeed, it, it was, it, it was uh, certainly a blessing for us to be there, and it was a blessing for Philip Brooks to be there and inspired him to write that song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. He rode from Jerusalem to Bethlehem on a horse to attend those services, and these are the words he has claimed to have said about his journey. Before dark, we rode out of town to the field where they say the shepherds saw the star. It is a fenced piece of ground with a cave in it in which, strangely enough, they put the shepherds. Somewhere in those fields we rode through, the shepherds must have been. As we passed, the shepherds were still keeping watch over their flock or leaving them home to fold. Now, what route did Philip Brooks take when he rode from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? 
Why the way of the patriarchs, of course. Let's uh, give thanks to the Lord. Father, we think about this Christmas season and it connects us back to a time of history to the, to the little town of Bethlehem. And it connects us back to an ancient time when Jesus was born there and even further back to all the other events of history that had happened in Bethlehem. We think about all the messianic prophecies that you have given in the Old Testament. We think going back all the way to the Garden of Eden when you prophesied that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. We think about those, uh, the, the clothing that you gave to Adam and Eve and how that was even a picture of uh, the death that had to be suffered by the animals in order to provide those clothes and how that points to the death of Jesus on the cross. We think about how you called Jesus the son of David, the seed of David, the branch of David, and how you predicted that Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, was going to be born in Bethlehem. We think about how against all statistical odds that happened in that short time frame. We think about how the Jews even recognized that Messiah was coming and where he was going to be born. Um, and we just are amazed at your fulfilling of messianic prophecies throughout history. We think about the future and how Jesus is not only the son of David, but he is your only begotten son, and that those of us in Christ are able to spend eternity with our Messiah and King. Thank you, God, and ask that you'd be with us as we continue on from this place, those of us who uh, are driving in our cars and um, continuing on this Christmas season, that we would keep Jesus first on our thoughts and minds and have a heart after God just like David did and just like Jesus did. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.